Shalom. Welcome to the New Millennium Edition of the Torah Teaching. This audio program is produced by Lion and Lamb Ministries and is presented by Monty Judah. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So Moab was in great fear because of the people, for they were numerous, and Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this horde will lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of Moab at that time. Balak, whose name means the destroyer, was somehow not living up to the meaning of his name. And he became fearful of the children of Israel. The the children of Israel were great in number. But they had a reputation now. Forty years before, they'd had a reputation of leaving Egypt, the greatest civilization in the history of the earth at that point, and their god had the reputation of delivering them from the hands of the Egyptians. But now they'd been in the wilderness for 40 years, and they had run up against some of the uh, enemy, and they had handily defeated them, and the word had gotten out, these guys, you know, they're, they're, they're a little bit tough. Balak decides because of the fear that he has of them to take a unique and different approach to dealing with the sons of Israel. He doesn't march out with his army. He doesn't, you know, run away or something of that nature, but he does act in fear. There's an age-old expression, I'm sure you've heard it before, that has always made a lot of sense to me, desperate men do desperate things. When you're really moved by fear and you're not thinking too straightly, you'll do weird things. And that's one of the things I've tried to teach in the lessons from the wilderness is is that our fear must be the fear of the Lord. If you do not make your fear to be the fear of the Lord, you will end up doing desperate, crazy, bizarre things in the days ahead. the, The fear will discourage you, will take the courage from you. And our fear needs to be the fear of the Lord. Balak's fear is not the fear of the Lord. Balak's fear is a different kind of fear, but he knows he has to deal with the Lord in a certain way, and so he decides that what he's going to do is kind of take this God that is involved with Israel, and he wants to get that God to kind of do his bidding. And we're introduced to another character. In Numbers 22 and verse 5, it says, So he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river, in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, a people came out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the surface of the land, and they are living opposite me. Now, therefore, please come. Curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that it is he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and repeated Balak's words to him. And he said to them, Spend the night here, and I will bring word back to you as the Lord may speak to me. And the leaders of Moab stayed with Balaam. Let me just stop and tell you, Balaam was a real prophet. He's a real prophet. And he knows the Lord. You know, the Creator of heaven and earth. Uh, We don't know all of the details of exactly how it came to be, but Balaam is respected as being a prophet of the Most High, and that whom he blesses is blessed, and whom he curses is cursed, and that he speaks the word of the Lord. And Balaam will give testimony here in a moment to say, I can speak nothing except it comes from the Lord, which is what a prophet really is only to do. He's only to speak the word that comes from the Lord. God established this system some time ago. He said that if I want to speak to a people, that I, God, have the authority to raise up and amongst the countrymen, raise up a man and he will speak for me. I will put my words in his mouth and he will go and speak for me to the people. And we are to be accountable. We are to be very careful when the words of a prophet comes to speak because it is a word which God himself will require. So there's rules about prophets, and, and they're respected, and, they're, and, and this is a system that's understood. Even the, even the heathen know about this. And Balak knew this. He knew about this. So he's going to see if he can purchase to pay a fee 
to get this kind of help. The idea being there, if I can get them cursed, should I have to go into battle with an all, the battle will be in my favor. They will be cursed. So he goes to hire Balaam, a prophet of the Most High, to come and do this. Verse 9, then God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? Now, let me just tell you something God already knew. God didn't have to ask Balaam what this is. This is the typical Eastern logic way of how do you start a conversation with someone. How do you start a conversation? Not by going and making bold assertions and statements, which is a sign of an egotistical person, but rather you humble yourself and you ask questions first. And so God, in a humbly way, begins the conversation with Balaam. He says, who are these men, Balaam? Let me hear what your statement is first. Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent word to me. Behold, there is a people who came out of Egypt, and they cover the surface of the land. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I may be able to fight against them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam arose in the morning and said to Balak's leaders, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. And if, we, if that was the end of the story, we'd say, okay, we understand what's going on. But this story gets bizarre. So things begin to happen. It's pretty clear right now. The Lord has said, no, Balaam, I don't want you to go with them. I don't want you to curse them. They're a blessed people. That's pretty clear. Everybody's got that story, part of the story. right? But something else happens. Verse 14, the leaders of Moab arose, went to Balak, and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak again sent leaders, more numerous and more distinguished than the former. And uh, they came to, let me just back up for a second, that's, that's a marketing thing that we used to say. You know, if you send a guy out and he can't get the sale, well, then you need to send a better personality, you need to send a better salesman. You know, it's not that he made the decision, it's just, you know, you haven't sent the best salesman yet. So Balak's got to send some more salesmen. He sent these additional leaders more numerous and more distinguished than the former. And they came to Balaam and they said, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I beg you, hinder you from coming to me, even a God. Don't even let God hinder you from coming to me. For I will indeed honor you richly and I will do whatever you say to me. Please come and curse this people for me. Balaam answers and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were, Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could do nothing, either small or great, contrary to the command of the Lord my God. Now, we're, that still makes sense. I mean, that's still, you know, we understand, you know, that he, Balak wants the, him to come and curse Balaam says, I can't say anything except the Lord says, the Lord told me not to go with you. He told me that don't curse them. They're blessed people. Everything's making sense. Verse 19, now please, you also stay here tonight, and I will find out what else the Lord will, will speak to me. Wait a minute, time out. What is going on? This question has been asked and answered. What is it that Balaam is going back for again? Why is he bringing this subject up again? I'll tell you why he's bringing it up, because we have now the temptation of big money. We will find out that the reason why Balaam makes big mistakes is because he becomes a prophet for fee. That will be his fundamental mistake. He's got a chance to make a couple of shekels on the side here. Well, you know, I know what the answer is, but let me let me go see if God's tempted by money. I mean, I am. Let's see if God was willing to split half of it with me or something. Verse 20, And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you shall you do. Balaam, I'm not keeping you from going. I'm saying... You can't curse them. So what does Balaam do? Well, he, you know, he got an inch. He's going to take a mile. Verse 20, So Balaam arose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the leaders of Moab. But God was angry because he was going. 
Why? Why, why is God... Um, didn't he just say you can go if you want to go? Why, why is he angry with him? Because it was clearly understood he didn't want him to go. But he's acknowledging, Balaam, if, if you're going to insist, if you're going to go, you can go, but do understand you're not doing that which I want to do. You're going to be contrary to the way that I want to go. But I'm not going to block you. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, don't do this. You ever met anybody who really knew? You know, you know, people sometimes struggle with the will of God. They know God doesn't want you to go into this. Doesn't make sense. You shouldn't be doing this. And you just keep going back to the Lord and say, well, Lord, well, I, kind of, I kind of do want to marry this woman. Okay. If you want to marry her, I'm telling you, it's not a good idea. But if that's what you want to do. Or get in a business venture or do this other thing. If you're going to, if you're going to say that God is your God and you're going to do what God tells you to do, there's going to be those moments when God's going to find out, well, you know, I've given you the counsel. I've answered your question for you. What are you going to do now? Well, God, I want to just check back in with you again on this one because I really kind of wanted to do this this time. And maybe I thought maybe I could pray and we could talk you into it. We play those games with God. If we find something that we're that interested in, we, we'll, we'll talk ourselves into the will God that I could do this. It's like Balaam. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm just going to, I know God's contrary to that. All the counsel's contrary to that. I'm just not going to follow the counsel. I'm just not going to do it that way. I'm just going to do it my way. Now, Balaam is on his way. Balaam really wants to do this. Verse 22, but God was angry because he was going, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Now he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turned off the way and went into the field. But Balaam struck the donkey to turn it back onto the way. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path on the vineyards, and with a wall on one side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. I bet that hurt. So he struck her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with a stick. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey... And she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, this is where the story gets really bizarre. I mean, because if I had a donkey talking to me like this, I would stop and think about this for a moment. But maybe this stuff wasn't strange to Balaam. Maybe Balaam, knowing the, the one true God, maybe he'd seen some interesting things. And anyways, the donkey's talking to him and he's asking, so he decides to give the donkey an answer. Because you have made a mockery of me. You're embarrassing me. In front of my two servants riding their donkeys. If there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you've ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And he said, Well, no. Now the donkey is giving counsel to Balaam. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary, because your way was contrary to me. Now there's a very simple kind of story that is here, although it this is kind of a... This is, I think, one of the most humorous stories in all of the Bible. In that, God set himself up as an adversary against Balaam. Balaam is his prophet. It, Balaam is his servant. But Balaam is going to do something that God is not in agreement with. Balaam can make the decision to do that. Just like you have the free right to make a decision that is contrary to the Lord. And the Lord is going to try to gently 
try to get Balaam stopped. He's going to try to approach him. And so first he positions the angel there, and, and the donkey gets driven off the path. It's, this is what we call going around the problem. And God makes it so that he, he can't get around. You're going to have to deal with me. And so this time the donkey presses against the wall. And then the final time, there's no way to get around it. You're going to have to come to terms with it. And this time the donkey lays down. And what is Balaam's response to that? You know, to start beating up on his circumstances. Now, every one of us have circumstances in our life. And there are certain days when those circumstances are like riding your donkey toward Balak. Every once in a while, you'll be able to get around the problem a little bit. And then there's other times when it crushes your foot and it hurts. And then there's other times the whole thing just collapses right from under you. And you don't get it. Is it possible? Is it just possible that you could have found yourself in a position of doing something that's really contrary to the way that the Lord wants you to go? You, have the, you can choose to do it. But is it possible that you're going contrary to your way? I submit to you that in my life and I submit to you in your life, if you believe in the one true God, there are no more coincidences in your life. There are no more. If you really believe there is a real God who knows the very hairs on your head, he knows the circumstances of your day, he knows which fig tree you're sitting under and what you're thinking while you're under that, and every idle word and every thought shall be brought captive into future accountability with God, then there is no such thing as a coincidence in your life. Anything that's happening in your life that's good is by the hand of the Lord. If you're the servant of God, anything bad happening in your life, it's by the hand of the Lord. There's nothing happening to you that isn't by the hand of the Lord. There is no such thing as luck, good or bad, to believers of God. God knows what's going on in your life. If something is not quite right, it's, not, it's contrary to your way, it's not, not fitting in, it's not flowing right, you need to step back and say, not to the donkey, but to God and say, God, what's happening? Am I missing something here? It seems that I'm trying to go this way and things aren't working out right. What's happening, Lord? Is this the right thing for me to be doing? Get eyes to start seeing what God's doing. But if you're like most of us, like Balaam, you know, he beats the donkey. I, I slam the, the truck door. It's got to be the truck, see? I don't know why the truck's not working right. I don't know why the vehicle's not working right, but maybe my way is contrary to the Lord. Because if I'm walking in the way that the Lord wants me to do, He is laying the path out before me. He's making it straight and smooth for me. He's blessing me. He's encouraging me. But if the way is contrary to the Lord, He's going to throw up a few obstacles to try to get your attention. Think this through. What are you doing? Balaam continues to persist. Even though it's, he knows it's contrary to what the Lord wants. Why? Why is Balaam doing this? Because he wants it. He wants something over there more than he wants to be in the will of God. And the fact of the matter is, many of us have had those examples in our life. I'm sure you've seen it in others. You get something in your head, that's what you want, that's what you believe in. You just can't, you just can't get them off that. they just got to do it even though it's contrary to God and common sense and counsel and so forth. The ways of Balaam. Verse 33, But the donkey saw me and turned aside from the three times, and if, if she had not turned aside from me, I would have surely killed you just now and let her live. 
the fact of the matter is some of those circumstances that we're in odds against, it probably was to our benefit. You ever heard the story of the fellow whose car broke down, had a fly tire? The most appropriate, most inappropriate time was in a hurry, only to discover as he came to a stop at the intersection, had he proceeded on, there was a terrible accident that he could well have been involved in. You ever heard such a story? That circumstances were just right, that had this calamity not happened to me and it delayed me and it caused me, that, or people who were supposed to get on a certain plane flight and because of something were terribly delayed, they were upset about their circumstances, but it turns out that had those circumstances not happened, they would have been in another situation that they wouldn't want to be in. Now, we give attribution to God for those. God saved me there. Why don't we see and recognize that the daily circumstances of our life that God's in control of those as well? If you could come to terms with it, you would call that walking by faith. You would see in a different way. You'd see life in a different way, different circumstances and so forth in a different way. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him in the city of Moab, which is on the Arnon border, at the extreme end of the border. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not urgently send you to call to me? Why did you not come to me? Am I really unable to honor you? So Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I have come to you now. Am I able to speak anything at all? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I will speak. Boy, these guys are friendly. How come you didn't come when I called? Hey, I'm here. And haven't I told you that I can only say that which the Lord tells me to say? And Balaam went with Balak, and they came to this particular location. The name of it is at the end of the camp. That's what this Kiriath Huzot. It's at the end of the camp. And Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep and sent some to Balaam and the leaders who were with him. And then it came about in the morning that Balak took, Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal. And he saw there a portion of the people. Now we need to make sure that we remind what is Baal all about. Baal is a Canaanite god. Baal is the lord of the whole earth for the Canaanite gods. The story of Baal is that he is the son of Dagon that he has a wife, and that he was slain. And because of the love of his wife, he was resurrected from the dead, and he's now become Lord of the whole earth. In the Hebrew, Baal means husband. It's the Hebrew word for husband, Baal. And it's the Canaanite God who has stolen the glory, the title, and the story of the one true God. And that's the reason why the God of Israel is very upset with Baal all the time. And why he says to Moses and the children of Israel, you will have nothing to do with the Canaanite gods. You will have nothing to do with their gods because they're a falsification. They're false. They've literally stolen my glory, my name, my title, my position. Stolen. You would have thought Balaam would have had nothing to do with this. I mean, if he really is the prophet of the Most High, why, why is he doing this? Money. Fame. Hey, <laughs> King of Moab's calling for me. Sent emissaries for me. You know, I get a little fame out of it, a little attention. I'm an important person. Whatever it is that takes to tickle the fancy. You know what? I got news for you. There's not a prophet that hasn't started out to be a true prophet. Nobody in there, nobody gets up and says, you know, I think as a chosen profession, I think I'll be a false prophet. I think to make my way into the world, I think I'll be a false prophet. 
No, they, there's some people that get up and they want to be a true prophet. They want to be a prophet. They, you know, they have high prestige and esteem for the position, and and they decide to make themselves a prophet. Maybe they prophesy out of their imagination. Maybe they 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 convince themselves. They deceive themselves. Whatever it is, but and then the key is, you know, not to. You know, nobody intended to be a false prophet. So whatever happens, it comes as a result of other events. And in the case of Balaam, he really was a prophet of the Most High to begin with, but these are the events in which he changes horses. This is when he when he starts making other adjustments. The Lord told him, I don't want you to go. He goes. The Lord says, I don't want you to speak against him. Later on, he'll speak. He, 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 at least God's got control of his mouth, and all he can do is pronounce a blessing. But just the same, he was attempting to speak a curse. He was attempting to earn the fee. He was motivated by fee, by Balak, not by the Most High God. And to top that off, he decides to perform the services in an idolatrous named place that he knows does, that, that the God of the Most High is very opposed to. Compromise. Going around. Finding a way. Not doing what the Lord says. Verse chapter 23, verse 1 says, Then Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here. Prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me here. And Balak did just as Balaam had said. And Balak and Balaam offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand beside your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to me. And whatever he shows to me, I will tell you. So he went to a bare hill. Now God met Balaam, and he said to him, I have set up the seven altars. I have offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and you shall speak thus. So he returned to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering, and he and all the leaders of Moab. And he took up his discourse, and he said, From Aram Balak has brought me, Moab king from the mountains of the east, come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how can I denounce whom God has not denounced? As I see them from the tops of the rocks, and I look at him from the hills, behold, a people who dwells apart, and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright, and let my end be like his. Then Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, but behold, you've actually blessed them. Paid good money here. Paid for good sacrifices, built altars, and so forth. You've ended up blessing them. In fact, what follows here is three times they try to set up Balaam to do this, and three times Balaam does not curse Israel, but in fact blesses them. Balaam's uh, his defenses is, I told you, I said, I can't speak anything of that which the Lord says. I don't know if you knew this or not, but that's the way really prophets work. When prophets are in the ministry of doing what God has them to do, they open their mouth and the words that the Lord chooses comes out of their mouth, not their words. I'll share by way of personal testimony with you that when I... Uh, went into full-time ministry a few years ago, that was my number one concern. I had the sense that the Lord was, as I looked over the different kinds of ministries, that, that I was trying to understand what God was calling me into and the work that he was going to give me, as people would ask me, and they said, well, Monty, what do you think the field the Lord is calling you to do? And I said, the only way I can explain it is it seems to fit the ministry of that of the work of the office of a prophet. I don't feel like I'm called like an apostle. I don't feel like I'm called like a pastor to shepherd a congregation, although I've been a part of congregations. I don't feel like the Lord has called me to be an evangelist, although I've gone and shared the gospel ministry just like everyone else. I don't feel like the Lord is calling me to the ministry of a teacher. I've done teaching before. But if I could put my finger on it, it seems like the Lord wants me to go and do the work of a prophet to minister to God's people and warn them and to speak to the leadership 
and warn them. And it seems that God has prepared my whole life for that purpose. I must tell you that I was very concerned about that because I've done a little study about prophets and, you know, how they make mistakes. And, and they all start off good, but they can make mistakes. And when they make mistakes, they make doozies. They make big mistakes. And I said, God, and this is what I asked him. I said, God, prove to me, if I turn my mouth over to you, can you prove to me that you can take my mouth and speak what you want to speak and you, can't, you won't let me take it back? That's all I need from you. I need some assurance from you, Lord, that if I give my mouth over to you, you'll speak through my mouth, do what it is that you want to accomplish, and you won't give me my mouth back until you're done. So that I don't mix my thoughts, my words, with the words that you want to speak. That's the one thing that I need you to convince me of, Lord. That's the way that's supposed to work. That's the reason why that in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul tells you that for the gift of speaking in tongues, I would rather have you to prophesy. Because the difference between prophesying and speaking in tongues is the guy who speaks in tongues speaks in a language which is not edifying to anyone except to the person who's speaking. But the person who prophesies speaks in a language that is edifying for everyone. Because they all hear and understand and according to 1 Corinthians 14, there is no difference between speaking in tongues and prophesying. The difference is the language that was heard and understood. And it is my testimony to you that when the Lord does speak through my mouth, that I am not in control. I'm inside listening. And it's really a very interesting experience for your brain inside to have one conversation with the Lord and your mouth speaking to an audience about something else. It's difficult enough, brethren, to get up in front of an audience and formulate thoughts and speech and speak to the brethren. It's another thing altogether for your mouth to be doing it on autopilot, being led by the Spirit of God, and you're inside having another conversation with the Lord. It's a testimony even to me. And the speech that usually comes from my mouth is just like what Paul said. For my speech and my preaching were not in demonstration of man's wisdom, but it was in demonstration of power and the Spirit so that your faith would not be based upon the wisdom of men but on the power of God. Those words really are meaningful to me because that describes the experience I've had. And that's the experience that Balaam was having. Even though he was commissioned to curse, when he opened his mouth, all that could come forth was what God said would come forth. And it was a blessing and not a curse. Even when the guy is contrary to the will of God, this is the way it works. Even if the guy isn't, isn't perfect, if he's speaking by the power of God, it is the power of God. There is no way to mix the two. And there's been many a time that the Lord has spoke that I was inside going, gee, that's interesting. I'd never heard that before. It's really fascinating. It really is how that works and how that ministry works. God said that the reason why he does that is because of the agreement that was made from the mountain. When the people were afraid to hear the actual voice of God, they made an agreement with God, and they said, Oh God, if we hear that voice again, we'll surely die. Moses, you go up on the mountain, you talk to God. Whatsoever God says to you, that's what we'll do. And the Lord said, Hey, what the people have said is a good thing. I've heard the voice of the people. Oh, if they only had a heart to go with the voice, though, I heard. Because they did say to me that if they would hear from me, they would do it. So the Lord said, I will do that. I will call brethren from in the midst of you, and I will put my words into their mouth, and they will speak to you, and I will require it of you. And I will use a man that is acceptable to you. You, you, you know, you won't hear the voice thundering from the mountain. You'll just hear a man speaking. So you'll get the words without the fright. But you know what? Ha the reason why prophets always run into people with run into trouble with God's people? Because we're rebellious people and we don't like to hear the word of God even if it comes from the mouth of a man. I don't care how it comes to us. If it's written, I don't like it. If I hear it from the mountain, I don't like it. I hear it from a man, a prophet, I don't like it. We're rebellious people. 
We are sons and daughters of the ancients, and they were truly rebellious. Three times Balaam attempts to speak the blessing, or excuse me, speak the curse upon Israel and is unsuccessful. And in fact, proceeds to speak prophecies to him telling what will happen to all of those nations that come up against Israel. And says, they're going to die. They're not going to prevail against Israel. The final blessing is given there in, in uh, chapter 24. It says, And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as to the other times to seek omens, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he took up his discourse, and he said, The oracle of Balaam the son of Beor, and the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down yet having his eyes uncovered. How fair are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. To this day, on every Sabbath, when they pull the ark out, they repeat the words of Balaam in the ears of all of Israel. This is the liturgy for the coming forth of the Torah every Sabbath in a Torah service. Did you know that? We can't it. How fair are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. This is part of the traditional liturgical religious service of the worship of God in every Sabbath in every synagogue throughout all of Israel and the whole world. When you come to the um, to the bar mitzvah and you see a full Torah service that we'll be doing, this is part of the liturgy. Isn't it interesting that Balaam is giving the liturgy for all Israel for the worship of the Lord? Let me tell you the reason why. Sometimes it's much more effective for the testimony of your enemy than it is for the testimony of your friend. You want to know what you're really like? You want to know what, what kind of man you really are? Go listen to the testimony of some of your enemies, too. They will tell you who you are. They'll tell you what you're really like. And when one of them says, how blessed are you, you really have the hand of God on that guy. That's a pretty effective witness. When those who are opposed to you, when they give the testimony, then it must be true. Because even they can see it. And that's really what's, what's taking place here. Now, Balaam wasn't, uh, wasn't done with Balak. You know, after all this ble uh, blessing and cursing business didn't pan out, and Balak says, well, Balaam says, I, look, I tried to hire you, you know, to come curse him. He said, well, I can't curse him. I can only speak the word that God puts in my mouth. However, if cursing is really what you're after, if you really want to do harm to Israel then you need to ask for my counsel. Oh, what's your counsel? Send your daughters down to marry their sons. Send your sons down to marry their daughters. Get them to assimilate. Take away their distinctiveness. Introduce your gods and the gods of the land to them and their young ones so that they will turn away from their God and they will mix into your families and your families into theirs and no longer can there be a distinction between you and them and, and then you can have your way with them. And that's what proceeds to happen. Instead of Balak sending his troops down with his chariots, he sends the daughters of Moab down to flirt with the sons of Israel which leads us into the next portion. Now, the reason why I feel that this passage is so interesting, not only is it my bar mitzvah passage, which you should be honored to have heard and learned, however, the real reason 
is because there is a reference made about this teaching to the last generation. Specifically to us, the believers in the last generation, the people who are going to go through the Great Tribulation, this is one of the warnings to one of the churches. There are some of you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who put stumbling blocks before the sons of Israel, who caused them to go into ways of immorality. That's the teaching of Balaam. The, uh, we have people that live today in this world who are opposed to the teaching of Balaam, or excuse me, opposed to the teaching of Moses. Now, maybe they didn't necessarily go around saying, hey, we have the teaching of Balaam, but if you're opposed to the teaching of Moses, you are in agreement with the teaching of Balaam. And there are people who say, you should not be distinctive. You should be like us. Why? You guys are acting like a bunch of Jews. Well, they are. <laughs> They're supposed to act like that. Yeah, but we don't want you to act like Jews. We don't want you to look like Jews. We don't want you to be doing those Jewish things. We don't want you keeping Sabbath. You know, a sign of a covenant between you and God. We don't want you designating him as the creator and making that. We've made a few changes on that. We want you to look like us. We want you to be assimilated into us. We don't want you to keep commandments. We don't keep those commandments. We don't want you to honor the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've got a different God. Matter of fact, we've got a bunch of gods. We want you to honor those like money and our gods. We want you to be like that. And when you go around acting like the way you're acting, we don't like that. We're opposed to you and we'll curse you. We will not bless you. I find it very ironic that in this day and time, and we mentioned this in the Revelation class because we were talking about Babylon, if some one of you decide, moved by the Spirit of God, you truly sought the Lord, you said, Lord, I, I, I want to go your way. Show me the way you would have me to go. And you just decide to do that little Sabbath thing. Just cease from your labors on Saturday. Who are the people who are going to be opposed to you? It's not going to be the heathen. Heathen don't care. It'll be churchmen. Be churchmen. I, I want you to understand something. Church people love the Lord. And I believe that they're believers. I believe they're just as real as Balaam was a real prophet of the Most High. But I also believe that their teaching is consistent with the teaching of Balaam. And the problem is God has warned us in these last days, do not hold to that teaching. Get away from that teaching. Get away from the idea of cursing Israel. Get away from the idea of being opposed to God's commandments. Get away from the idea of being distinctive and only separated under the Lord and not being assimilated like the rest of us. It's, it's kind of a normal social human behavior. We want everybody to be like us because we use everybody around us to confirm our goodness. See, I'm normal. And there's a spectrum that centers, that I'm in the center of. There's people to the right of me and people to the left of me. And if you still ground, start making a new definition of what normal is, then I'm off kilter here somewhere. I'm off on this part of the spectrum or that part of the spectrum. I'm not normal anymore, and I want to be normal, and i got to get you to agree that I'm normal. So do the same things that I do. Think the way I think. Call that which is good the same things I call good. Call that which is bad the things I call bad. But if you start using a different definition, you start saying, well, the Lord said that you shall not labor on Sabbath, and here I am out here mowing my yard on Sabbath and working like a dog. Well, there's a conflict there. Somebody's got to give. Somebody's got to be normal. Somebody's got to be in the right. 
And if you're going to go around claiming, you know, God told you to do that, and we know God's right, well, then I've got to dispute that. If I'm going to be normal, I've got to be opposed to that. I got to be... Can you imagine the huge dilemma that the modern-day church has right now? There's a God getting ready to come back to the earth to judge the whole world, and they think they're exempt from God's judgment. They Somehow they've got it in their thinking that they're normal and other people are unbelievers. And Israel, the ancient peoples, they, they, they were that way, but we're not that way. I mean, Israel blew it, but surely we can't blow it. They made a huge mistake. They got off track. They, they had the teaching of Moses, and they messed it up. We, we have the teaching of Jesus. We don't mess it up. We can't mess it up. See, they're wrong. We're right. And you know the mentality and the thinking. When somebody thinks they're right, you can't get a word or a thought in edgewise. That's what we call dead right. They're dead right. They're, they're, they missed it. They have lost it. Folks, I could go through a list with you of what the modern-day church is doing today and what I have experienced and seen in my lifetime that is absolutely contrary to the Word of God. I wouldn't even have to quote an Old Testament verse. I'm telling you that it would be contrary to the New Testament. And you know what people would say of me if I went through that list with you? You'd say, boy, Monty is sure critical. You know, nothing pleases that guy. He was just hard on people. He just, you know, he, he, nothing can make him happy. I, I don't know why, you know, I don't think the guy loves anybody. Brethren, i got news for you. The prophets of Israel loved Israel. They loved the sons of Israel. They were willing to give their lives for the sons of Israel. They begged Israel, come back to the Lord. And they said harsh things to Israel you haven't even begun to hear that has been said about the church. When they got critical on Israel, they got real critical on Israel. They got so critical that the people who heard them wanted to kill them and couldn't take it anymore. They, the leaders in Jeremiah's time, they said they can't even stand the man. They threw him in a well. Don't even want to see his face or hear his voice. I've not yet begun to prophesy about the church. If I, I dare say if I were to prophesy about the church the way Jeremiah prophesied about Israel, they would do the same thing that they did to Jeremiah and Isaiah and Amos and the whole lot of them. And it wouldn't be that Monty hates the church or hates his brethren or anything of the nature. It would be that the word of the Lord is being spoken and trying to get the people to return to the Lord. But we're like the ancients. We would rather assimilate. We would rather hold to the teaching of Balaam. Compromise everything. Get around everything that the Lord has said. Make it fit our situation so we don't have to change. We'll get God to change. That's the teaching of Balaam. Get God to change. Let's not change. Let's not be the people that God wanted us to be. Let's not be the people that God raised us up or established us to be. Well, i got news for you folks. We are running out of time on who's going to make the change. Because there's a day of reckoning coming. A day of calamity coming. A day when God says, no more negotiations. You either are or you aren't. One of the most frightening and fearful things that has always disturbed me about the words of Yeshua was that little passage there in Matthew 7 where the Lord said, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I believe that God's saving power is great and mighty. His mercy is incredible. 
But there are some people today who believe that the grace of God replaces all of God's justice system. Let me tell you what the difference between grace and mercy is. Grace is getting something you didn't deserve. Something's done for you. Somebody's gracious to you. What is mercy? Not getting something that you deserved. Grace and mercy work together. They're really the same qualities of God. It's just that grace is kind of on the positive side. You're getting something good. And mercy is you're not getting the bad thing you should have gotten. Both of them are unmerited favor. You didn't deserve either one of them. You don't deserve God's gracious thing. You don't deserve mercy. But God chooses to do that for us. You know, the thing that really strikes me about the real teaching of Balaam is like that verse in John 1.17 that I want to kind of end on tonight. And I've, I've had this one preached at me. I'm sure you've had it at you. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Only they read it as though that these are two contrasting thoughts. They insert the word in their thinking, but, in the middle. Like, the law came from Moses, that's one thing, but, 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 grace and mercy came from Jesus. Like, grace and mercy hasn't anything to do with the Torah. I have news for you. One of the great complaints of Yeshua was for those who weren't obeying the Lord was that they had forgotten the weightier things of the law, which included justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Those are the weighty things of the law. It's not that grace and mercy and, and truth isn't part of the law. They are. They're the weighty things of the law. So what is the verse really saying? It's saying that Yeshua came to bring the weighty things of the law out to us all so we'd realize what was really the teaching of Moses. Because I guarantee you, my ancestors fouled it up. To really bring out the meaning of what Moses had said. But in this day, in the teaching of Balaam, we separate the two and we say, well, the law of Moses is this, and truth and grace, that's other stuff. Brethren, if you have some sort of definition of grace or mercy that is apart from that which is taught in the Torah, you do not have God's definition of grace and mercy. You have something that has been made up from the teaching of Balaam. Because those that teach the teaching of Balaam for grace, they say, let's prove that grace works by not keeping the commandments of God. Let's prove it. In fact, they would insinuate that if you keep the commandments of God, you are not getting the grace. That's not the grace that Moses taught of, and that's certainly not the grace that Yeshua taught of. That's the grace that's taught by Balaam. The reason why God gives us grace is the same reason that a father gives grace to his son. To the one he loves, the one he cares for, the one he wants to raise up and establish, and he'll do the extra things. You know, give him a boost, help him. But I guarantee you there's no successful father in raising up a son that raises up a son that his son does not obey his father's voice. Now John, who wrote this passage in the Gospels, did not write a contrasting thought that the grace is something different from the teaching of Moses or of what the commandments of God are about. I can prove it to you. Because in his final letters in which that he wrote to the brethren specifically, he wrote the following things. First John chapter 2, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Yeshua the Messiah, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 
But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Yeshua did not come to advocate the doing away of the customs of Moses or of the Torah. He said, think not that I've come to abolish it. Paul did not teach others that they were to do away with the customs of Moses or with the commandments. What he took issue with was a bunch of people saying that keeping commandments is how you get saved. He said it's the grace. You don't deserve to be saved, but God does it and gives you it as a gift, a free gift of life that you do nothing to save yourself. But there were some who've advocated that the keeping of a commandment of God is how you get saved. It's the teaching of Balaam. And he was opposed to it. He was not opposed to the Torah or God's commandments. When it came to the issue of women speaking in the church, he said it ought to be done just according to the law. How can he use the law to keep the ladies under control, but he doesn't want to use the law when it comes to this other teaching? In fact, he kept those customs, and it was his testimony at his trials when he had to give sworn testimony that he was holding to the tradition and the teaching of his fathers, and that he had not departed from that, that the key issue that was at dispute with him was over the resurrection. Did Yeshua the Messiah, was he resurrected from the grave, and is he the Messiah or not? That's the key issue. It was not an issue to be against the law. Anybody who stands up and tells you that the law is no more is the teaching of Balaam. And we are warned in these last days to be very careful and not hold to that teaching. To put stumbling blocks before the sons of Israel. Not to be opposed to that. But we live in a world full of it. I wish I could say, well, these are just rare instances. It's the other way around. You and I are the rare birds in this world. You and I are the minority, standing up and speaking with honor and praise the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to obey the Lord, and to keep the commandments that are written. You know, the commandments that are in the book of the commandments. And they will accuse you of every manner of thing, being legalistic, following after man's teaching, trying to take people under bondage, and all manner of nonsense. I'll tell you a man who's under bondage. Take any commandment of God and ask him if he has the freedom to keep it. And if he hesitates, he's not a free man. He is in bondage to sin. He's been taken captive by the teachings of the world. And I see people all the time just asking, can you keep Sabbath? Oh, boy, I don't know. Man, you don't know what my life is like, what we do on Saturday. Saturday's like the most important day. I do all my work on that one day. It's not a free man. He's been taken captive. He is locked up solid. Can't we make it Tuesday? We'll make it a personal Sabbath. Well, that's nice. You can have your own personal Sabbath, but we're talking about the Sabbath that God established. If you want to go around claiming that you made the earth... You know, on the first three days, and then on the third day you rest, it will go ahead and give that testimony. Brethren, you know, you never need to really kind of take a, an inventory of your own heart. The reason why I say that is because these are some of the warnings that are given to us for the brethren in these last days. Are we holding to some of the teaching of Balaam? Or are we really free, you know, to serve the Lord? Have we got ourselves assimilated with the world and the, and the world system? That we've lost our distinctiveness to be in the camp of Jacob where the tabernacle is at and the Spirit of the Lord is? Or are we kind of, you know, bouncing in and out of the camp and we're crossing the river over there to Moab on the evenings and then coming back in the daytime? Where are we at? Where, where, what's our inventory? Spiritual inventory where we're at. Brethren, all I can warn you and tell you is, is that they're going to try to come get you. They're going to try to turn you away from the Lord. The enemy does not want you 
to be in that camp and does not want to have you separated unto the Lord and sanctified by him, being a part of God's real grace and real mercy and real justice and real faithfulness and the real stuff. He wants you to be like him. You can almost sense the mentality of the devil. If I can get all of God's people to be like me, well, God, you're wrong. See? They're all like me. And that's what the teaching of Balaam is about. Make everybody the same. Not like God. Just We'll go over and do these other things. Those things should not be. And we should be sensitive and wise and careful to make sure we don't follow the teaching of Balaam. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for the teaching. And Lord, I confess to you that I need wisdom. I need eyes to see. Like Balaam couldn't see the angel of the Lord, Lord, I need eyes to see the angel of the Lord. If there be any part of my life that is contrary to your way, show me, Lord. Lord, I would pray that you give eyes to see for this congregation. This is a group of people who desire to follow you. You know their hearts. You know our weaknesses. You know the baggage we're carrying. You know the struggles we have, the difficulties that we have. Lord, but by our assembly here, we're showing to you and giving testimony to you, Lord, that we do wish to follow you. We do want to follow. Make us wise, Lord, under the ways of salvation and the ways of you. Make us wise, Lord, when that teaching leaks in and tries to affect us and take us captive. Help us, Lord, so that we'll be free and kept free. Lord, I thank you for this teaching. And I ask, Lord, that you'd make it a reality in this assembly and in this congregation. And I ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. For more information about Lion and Lamb Ministries, call our office at 405-447-4429. Our address is Post Office Box 720-968, Norman, Oklahoma, 73070. Our web address is www.lionlamb.net. Thank you.